You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. Show. I'm your co-host Trey Holiday. We want to welcome you to a terrific Tuesday. Of course, we got a great show, and it's really great because my guy, co-host with the most big O, is back in the Black Media Matter Studios with us. What up, big O? Trey Holiday. How are you? One day away from you is one day too long. <laughs> we missed you, my friend. You're doing well today. No, I missed, I missed you too. And, and you know, sometimes you know, on the road, it's it's hard to really, you know. Put that elbow room out there when you're talking about something, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and uh, it's always just good to be back home here in the studio. You look fantastic today. Thank you so much. Yeah. You, you, you going to do the T-dub on them? <laughs> well, you know, the shoes is there is a, you know, it's all matching. You got to just coordinate. That's yeah. perfect. <laughs> oh, hold on. Hold on. I, I might for go. the first time ever. Look at look at look at <laughs> this for the first time ever. My friend. You see what you started teed up? <laughs> We got a great show here today, man. Shayna Shepard is going to be in the building. And you know what's always about the uplift when we get Shayna here. Uh, it's been a few months. Last time Shayna Shepard was here was actually, I think, Christmas Eve. It was December 24th of last year. And so Shayna is back and really, really excited to talk to her. I am too. Every time Shana comes through, you know it's going to be an explosion of good vibes and energy. So I'm glad that she'll be in the building today. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And, uh, you know, we're also covering other headlines, uh, update from out there in Buffalo. And then some some news here, some uh, Seattle Times this morning and Sydney Brownstone talking about the spike in deaths there at the King County Jail. So we'll dive into an article this uh this out there today in the seattle times mm-hmm. yeah yeah interesting indeed all right well in in that case <laughs> there well okay uh devon i see you over there with the switch in that case let's get ready to go good morning everybody welcome to the morning update show want to remind you that right now is the perfect time for you to tag and share the stream. Go ahead and tag and share the stream with people you feel would appreciate culturally relevant news and information emanating from right here in the Emerald City. Want to give a big shout out to our partners over at KBCS 91.3 over at Bellevue College and, of course, the South Seattle Emerald. You can listen to the Morning Update show anywhere that you listen to your favorite podcast. Actually, you can listen to all of Converge shows, including Art of the Matter, which was on last night. Um, Go to SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, Google. All you have to do is search Converge Media Network. Want to uplift an online resource right here, here for us, Wah dot org here for us wall.org culturally curated um information and resources uh, especially for those in our community who might be vaccine hesitant yeah we, we we keep this alive because we know that we're all still learning as covid is still out here still affecting us so shout out to uh the department of health for doing this um you know, really intentional uh, content creation around all things COVID, but really highlighting stories of people from Black community who have been vaccine hesitant, maybe telling why they got the vaccine. Also a great way for you to get all of the resources around COVID. Yeah, COVID funky, man. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this is is all I can say. So, um, I, I was with a, a friend yesterday and he was telling me his he, he got two different alerts from the school district that he's in and two different get one one child is I guess still in elementary 
and the other one is in high school and he got a lurch one hour across from each other saying, Hey, there was COVID found. And so, so like, you know, from both kids, two different schools, but you know, both of them are coming home. Uh, I I gotta tell you, I mean, this is something as a parent, Oh, with, with a child still, you know, in school and like, and my, my kid at high in high school, these alerts, man, they're kind of ambiguous, man, because honestly, they'll be like, Hey, you know, we found out that your child had somebody in their class was exposed to COVID. There was no close contact as far as we know with your child. I'm like, how do they know that? You know, it's just the same message every time where it's like, Hey, just so you know, somebody in one of your son's classes has COVID, but your son should be fine. And I'm just like, are you sure? (laughs) You know, it's, it's, I'm telling you, it's interesting for sure. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, once you, if you get on public transport, if you get on anywhere where there's a lot of people, you might as well just be like, yeah, I've come in contact with, <laughs> with somebody. Either way, though, hear for us, wa.org, and check them out. Man, you know, as the news comes out of, of Buffalo, New York, it definitely doesn't you know, get any better. Um, you know, they, re- they released the names of the victims yesterday, and... Uh, crazy enough, people, the number of threats now against the city of Buffalo and the black community in Buffalo has now increased. So people are making threats online there and uh, what the prosecutor is saying there and everybody, they said they're trying to go directly after people who are now making threats. So imagine that this this massacre happens there and uh, people on the Internet making threats. And this is also why. You know, sometimes people like, oh, it's just the Internet. Oh, it's just whatever. Nah, because you know what I'm saying? Especially when people threatening you and threatening to do harm. You can't just brush it off like, oh, that's just the Internet. You obviously can't do that. Look at what just occurred there. So this is something to definitely be taking seriously. And it is shocking to me in terms of why people would feel like out in the in, in the you know outcry of this uh tragedy that they would want to make threats it's just like this community is already dealing with so much this is really interesting oh to see this pour out like this it's unfortunate beyond unfortunate to be honest yeah no it is and one of the things we're going to play a clip here in a second from CBS mornings one of the things is buffalo new york is one is the sixth most segregated city in america due to a history of redlining. We know about red, you know, here, here in Seattle. So a lot of places in America, black people got redlined in and they still there in Seattle. We got redlined in and then blackballed out. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we, we were redlined into the central district and other neighborhoods in Seattle and then blackballed out through gentrification, displacement and everything else. But a city like Buffalo, New York, the sixth most segregated city in America, which also means, you know, the high concentration of black people. CBS This Morning had a had an interesting clip here where they talked to a professor who did a lot of research on the segregation there in Buffalo. Officials say the alleged gunman in Buffalo's mass shooting chose his target because of the high percentage of black people in that particular area, which raises a question. How did that neighborhood become so segregated in the first place? A University of Michigan analysis found that the Buffalo Niagara Falls metro area overall is the sixth most segregated in the whole U.S. And another study by the University of Buffalo concluded last year that the economic conditions for black people in that city had not improved in three decades. 
We spoke to Professor Henry Lewis Taylor, who worked on that study and who told us why Buffalo's east side looks the way it does today. The process of segregation is driven by the way in which we build cities. Within the urban areas, ever since the rise of home ownership in the United States, there have been a sorting and sifting process to separate higher income whites from lower income blacks. Back in 1940, Buffalo was one of the most integrated cities in the United States. But as home ownership increased, and as we saw this land valuation system occur, blacks were concentrated in places on the east side where the most undesirable residential lands in the city existed. And is there a connection between that history and what we saw unfold this past weekend? I, I think it's a big connection. If you drive around this neighborhood and community and you see folks living in the dilapidated and run-down houses, the streets uh, and sidewalks that are literally non-existent, the unkept vacant lots, black people fight against this. So because the people in the neighborhood like this fight against the condition of the neighborhood. It makes them a target. It makes them a target. I take it you were not surprised or already knew that this was the only full-service grocery in this area. Uh, there are over 100,000 black people in Buffalo, and the fact that there's only one major supermarket servicing them is a disgrace. But that was years of, of struggle and, and battle and fighting. It just didn't happen. And so it, it, it represents a, a symbol of hope and possibility. It represents what we can accomplish when we struggle just to get one food store. So that's what this food shop, one of the few places where we can get nutritious food to eat, and you attack it? You attack it? My word. I mean, talk about the numbers do not lie. We said that yesterday and it is so true. When we look at these kind of statistics to really showcase the characteristics of this neighborhood, he's 100% correct that this is all intentional. And the way that cities are built um, here in America is so intentional. We have seen these uh, restrictive covenants in terms of land use, um, in terms of home ownership. We have seen this um, in multiple cities as Omari said, across the country. But Buffalo really represents a unique case here because you're talking about people that from that community having to press just to have one supermarket to service all of them. This is ridiculous, oh? Yeah, like, like most tragedies in America, when you peel it back, you see the, all these underlying disparities. You know, I mean, Im imagine that, a population of 100,000, and had to fight to be able to get a supermarket in the black community, you know. I mean, in one one way or another, whether it be through through redlining, housing covenants, even if you study the the history of mass transportation, you know, freeways in America, and you look how many freeways and highways went through the middle of black business districts, or or, or cut through black neighborhoods, and, and some of everything else. It's a it's an interesting history now that comes to the surface that the nation probably wouldn't even realize about the history there in Buffalo and also the living conditions of the black community there in Buffalo. This right here for me just takes on a whole nother toll because we can 
connect this story to all of the other stories about discrimination and certain practices that have had, um, you know, uh, harmful impacts on black communities across this country. This is the kind of stuff for me where I'm like, you know, if black people do not stand up, if we do not have those that are saying they want to be in allyship with us, stand up against these kind of norms and these kind of harms, what are we really doing? What are we really talking about here? Because you, you're telling me that not only did this young white guy, you know, have all of these racist tendencies, but he targeted this area because he understood just from being in this space that this was a place where black folks were congregating. The fact that that was the only grocery store that that they had is another example of him being able to see this as a target. This is a concentrated black community. We right here in Seattle, we deal with the fact that our communities are not as concentrated as they used to be because of gentrification, because now our land that was redlined and, and where black folks were congregating in the central district in South End, now it's very valuable to Seattle. It's very valuable to those outside of Seattle. So we see that there is a, you know, a, a moving around of our people, of our families. This right here for me is where I'm like, if we don't see these kind of examples and, and realize that we have the opportunity to try to do at least something about it, I, I, I'm telling you, oh, it goes beyond me because this right here for me is one of those real concentrated examples of how so many people have had to stand up and now people really need to see this and take this in. Oh, can't just wash over it. Yeah. One, one of the things watching that clip that I thought about was all these years when we were young and growing up in the Central District, everything else. We wanted new stoplights. We wanted new sidewalks. We wanted all the things that are there now on like 23rd Avenue once we're gone. You know, we wanted investment in infrastructure in our neighborhood and in our community. Just like they talk about there in, in, in Buffalo. And, and what this professor say is that black people wanting to improve their neighborhood is now a target. You know, in, in Seattle, what happened is because people find the Central District and South Seattle valuable, right? It's it's the value in the space. And is what I'm saying. And see how there's there's other areas, neighborhoods in America where gentrification and displacement is taking place. There's a lot of neighborhoods where, like I said, it, 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 he told you right there, they they pushed them way back when to the most undesirable land here in Seattle. You go back um, almost 140 years to to before Washington became a state when Henry Gross about the 12 acres of land, which is right now, what you would say on, on Madison, on Union 23rd. So, you know, black people were, were basically um, populating what's now the central district way back when it was forest and trees, whatever, way back when. But you could imagine there, like you said, in the 40s, Buffalo was very uh, integrated. And they worked systemically. You see, when we use that word systemic, they worked systemically to now push all the black people to a certain undesirable neighborhood in Buffalo. Yeah, the, it being a target that they want to improve their neighborhood is ridiculous to me. Everybody has the right to safety in their community to, you know, protection in their community, to beauty in their community. Every 
person has the right. The fact that we uh, here on the Morning Update show have to cover stories like this that are so impactful to black communities at an unprecedented rate. We talk about black and indigenous communities being one of the two major communities that suffer from all of these systemic practices, right? But we see it there in the numbers. We see it there in that one example of Buffalo, New York. And I wouldn't have known about this had they not been pulling these statistics out. It wasn't something that was on my radar to understand that Buffalo was one of the top six most segregated cities in America. But this is America, people. Like this is exactly what we're talking about here. America is not some rosy place where just everybody can pull themselves up from the bootstraps. Here you have a black community that is being targeted because they're saying we deserve level ground. We deserve playgrounds and green space. We deserve all of the things that are these affluent communities and neighborhoods have, we deserve it as well. And now they're a target. This is exactly what America is. If we do not wake up to that truth, we're going to constantly be asleep and allow all of these systemic practices to continue to cause harm. We also got to remember that there's a lot of us in this country who don't have boots, let alone bootstraps to pull themselves up on. You know, I mean, you just have to be realistic as when we use that that analogy that so many of us don't even have the boots. Um, President Biden visited Buffalo. We didn't put that clip in the show um, just because, you know, irregardless of the president, the president plays a role, consoler in chief, tells how thoughts and prayers are there and everything else, and that's true. Thoughts and prayers are there, but somehow in the big picture, this issue and the issue of us and our community, the larger black community, but violence as a whole in America never really seems to get addressed. It doesn't, and, and this it definitely doesn't from the federal level. I mean, you don't have enough awareness and transparency about anything that's happening coming from a federal perspective or, you know, federal oversight around how to really totally eliminate this type of violence from happening in our country. Um, not to say now I'm a person who is aware of certain initiatives. I understand it because they've been bringing it to certain community groups and, and things like that. But I'm talking about the family. The families are often not aware about what's going on, and there's not enough awareness in general for people to be connected to these things. There's a lot that happens at a local level. We talk about these micro levels of community-based organizations looking to disrupt gun violence, looking to have prevention programs, looking to do intervention. We talk a lot about that, but it's from a real micro level. It's from us understanding people that we're around and in community with that are doing that work. It's not happening where we see that it's happening on this federal scale to be like, nah, there is this particular body, governmental body, that this is their job. Their job is to root out this kind of hate. Omari said it yesterday, though. You can't policy these things away. This is about you being able to have opportunities to tell the truth of this country to hopefully wake some folks up. But also, this hate has been brewing since the inception of this country, and it's still showing up today in a very harmful, disruptive way. That, that to me, 
is something that is going to take a multitude of things to solve. Oh, yeah. I'll I'll say this and I'll leave this here. We, we need to realize, if you haven't already, that there is a population in this country that just hates us. And I mean, it's really as cold and true as I just said it. There's a population out there that hates us for no other reason than the color of our skin. Um, we'll continue to follow what's going on over there in Buffalo. Uh, we talked about this earlier. Uh, we got an article here from Sydney Brownstone. We'll put it up. King County Jail. Huh. You don't have that over there. All right. No, that's not it. No, no. You got to stop pressing buttons over there, chief. We can't experience. <laughs> it's, it's fine. <laughs> we know we need to go through the sheets, right? <laughs> okay. Well, it's fine. Either way here, we've got it. We've got an article that's in the, that's in the uh, Seattle Times today. We'll put the link right there in the comments. It says King County failed to comply with new law as jail deaths spiked. This is by Sydney Brownstone over at the Seattle Times. One thing about Sydney Brownstone, uh, last time when we had Sydney on air, man, Sydney brings a lot of humanity to her writing on what's going on here in Seattle, especially around communities that uh, have been particularly marginalized. I'll just read this here. This is um, about Liana Mathis, right? It says Mathis 28 was one of those bright presences in a room, particularly when she performed in, in drag shows. Friends remembered um, among her circle of chosen family in the LGBTQ plus community were friends, kids who knew her as Auntie Lily. But Mathis also struggled as a transgender woman. She had endured violence, homelessness, and heartache over the years. She died by suicide last December in the King County Jail after spending her last conscious moments there in a jail cell. <clears throat> Since Mathis' death, five more people have died in custody in the King County Jail or after being transferred to the hospital, at least three suicides and one overdose. In the first four months of the year, the King County Jail system has seen more people die in custody than all of last year. The jail has logged 28 suicides, suicide attempts, or attempts at self-harm so far this year. The unusual spike in jail deaths has family members, public defenders, and advocates asking questions about conditions at the jail, which has seen severe understaffing, new COVID outbreaks, and an uptick in its average daily population since the beginning of the year. But it's difficult to tell whether the deaths follow a pattern because King County has not complied with a 2021 state law requiring it to review and publicly post analysis of uninspected jail deaths within 120 days, leading to an information void around deaths that occurred last December or earlier. This is really, really interesting here because now we're coming back to this local level and we understand that there is a law that is being violated and they're not following this law. That is huge. Not only is it huge that they're not following the law, but the idea is that there are specific conditionings at King County jails that is now contributing to this spike in deaths 
in the jail, that is huge. I mean, I'll say this, talking to people who have been in these jails, there have been so many uh, inmates, really, and those who are incarcerated, who have reached out to community groups and organizations and different people to try to share their stories, particularly when COVID was really spiking in the jails and the, you know, they weren't doing anything about it. They were like, oh, well, you know, you're bound to get COVID. You're, you know, you're going to be in close proximity to each other. There was so many different people that were like, this is, uh, this is a madhouse what they're doing to us up in here. It doesn't seem right. It seems like it's violating my human rights. However, they were able to get away with this. And now you have this year in 2022 where they're seeing more deaths and they're talking about these suicide attempts, man. What is going on in these King County jails? Oh, yeah. You know, and this is something that like uh, different uh, community groups have been talking about for a while is is the deaths occurring over there in the King County jail. Um, and, you know, we need to keep in mind that 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 jail, right, is that I mean, you have people. One, if you're sentenced to that jail, it's, you got sentenced to 364 days or less. And it's usually like a misdemeanor. If you're if you're sentenced in that jail, you might be awaiting trial. You you, you might have got arrested waiting, waiting to go to to get arraigned. You know, there's people that are that go through that jail uh, for all kinds of different reasons, circumstances. Clearly, one way or another, they've been pulled into the system. But. It's um. You know, it, it reminds me almost two years ago when we were reporting when the black remember it was the 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 black uh, uh, jail guards that were over there who complained about the environment that, that was and it was a real tragic ending uh, from one of one of those one of those uh, black guards that was over there in the King County Jail. Um, you know, hopefully this is an opportunity here for people to to really dig a bit deeper and see what's going on in the jail. Um, Liana Mathis, uh, named here in the article by Sydney Brownstone, and a bit again, uh, shout out to Sydney. I mean, every time we're reading something with Sydney, it's a lot of times here in Seattle, those who people consider marginalized, they're they're glossed over by especially by major media. And Sydney Brownstone always makes a, a, an effort to bring some humanity, regardless of the circumstances. Yeah, I'm really um, thankful to Sydney for Sydney's work. This is, uh, for me, one of those things where, um, again, I think we have to pay attention. We have to pay, pay close attention to what is happening, even when you feel like this is a community that you may not be a part of. I have had family members who have been incarcerated at that jail. I understand what it is and how the families are dealing with that when one of your loved ones is in that situation. You know, you rally around, you try to figure out a way. And, and this is one of those things that I think we all need to be paying attention to, regardless if you have family there or not, or you have been there or not this is something that's important to all of us yeah no for sure um we've gone long so i'm gonna cut a few things out but we we definitely got to clear the air in the room <laughs> before we, before we have shane and shepherd up in here uh we got something here raised donuts this is coming from capitol hill seattle blog our buddy over there justin carter um so man the central district's raised donuts has completed it's move into a brand new space, only a block from its original home. The news, the new raised is part of the ripple of change rolling through old Midtown block. 
Um, Ray's Donuts is now open on 24th and Union as part of the Midtown Square development and bringing this up because one is always good you know we gotta let people know so they can go and continue to support uh raise donors right there in the central district but to midtown and you talk about this renaissance on union and i mean this is one business going in there. it's a lot of businesses that are going in there yeah, there's a lot of businesses going in there. And this is really a shout out to all of the community groups, leaders, individuals, folks that were making their voice heard with Lake Union Partners, the major developer of Midtown. Um, this right here is, you know, a space that's so iconic to uh, Seattle Central District and Seattle's black community that we had to be sure that they understood the assignment. Right. And so um, shout out to Lake Union Partners for partnering with community to be sure that this space really represents the legacy of black history, black culture, black excellence. We see it with all of the artwork in the space and now their intentionality to bring businesses that are beloved businesses. I know Jerk Shack is going to be there. We, we know there's a lot of different businesses that are going in there. And I love how this article also points out that this is better than some, you know, big scale pharmacy that was going to be there. We're like, no, what we need is we need spaces that create and cultivate community. When you're in a shop grabbing a donut, you're talking to the person in front of you, behind you, you're building relationships. That's important. Restaurants do that. We know hair uh, salons and, and barber shops do that. We need more spaces like that. That really represents what Omari and I grew up in in the Central District, man. It's a, it's a, it brings a big smile to my face. So. Yeah, that's why I said we were funky. We had to clear the air. You know? Definitely got to clear it. <laughs> it. It looks like we got somewhere else to go, huh? We're going to get some donuts. Yeah, we definitely got to get there. Maybe we call Justin Carter from from over at Capitol Hill, <laughs> Seattle Block, and we'll go and get some donuts from Ray's Donuts. I'm so with it. All right, good, good stuff. You know, I, we we didn't flip the coin today, but I interviewed Shana last time she was here. So is it me or you today? Yeah, I get it now. Okay. Well, in 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 that case, because I love giving Shana Shepard her flowers while she's here, and you're going to be interviewing her, Shana. Let me tell you this, is that, man, we love you. We appreciate you. We uplift you. You continue to make us so proud. You you are an epitome of what we put here on this iconic wall. When we talked about people today representing our past and bringing it to our present and our future. And I welcome you, dear friend, back here to the Black Media Matter Studios. Yes. There, there it is. We, we got a motion. Grab, I, I handmade that right there. Yeah. There she is. Beautiful. Shayna Shepard. She's coming up next right here on the Morning Update Show. The breathtaking new musical Afterwards is the story of the art we make from the love that shapes us. When three women discover unexpected truths, a dazzling mosaic of intersecting lives reveals itself. Featuring a revelatory and soulful new score. Don't miss the world premiere of this captivating new musical, Afterwards, at the Fifth Avenue Theater, April 29th to May 21st. Tickets at fifthavenue.org. Hey there, it's Trey Holiday. And of course, Besa and I had to take a trip back to Market Street Shoes to grab some items. They always know what to show us. And let me tell you, we both spent quality time to be sure we collected some amazing additions to our wardrobes. 
They have some of the most unique bags, shoes, and accessories. I mean, the whole shebang. It's always a good time when I get to shop with my girl, Basa. Make sure you go check out Market Street Shoes, y'all, and you too can walk out with some dope gear. Welcome back to the Morning Update Show. I am your co-host, Trey Holiday, And joining me right now on the set is my girl, Shayna Shepard. What up, Shayna? Trey Holiday. Oh, Yo. <laughs> I'm so glad that you are she here. Said, oh. <laughs> no, I love it. Come on with it. Every time. You look fabulous. Oh, thank you. You look amazing. Oh. I'm saying you look like a, a superhero. <laughs> You look amazing. <laughs> Thank want, you. This is like my mind. There we go. <laughs> on a good day. It's a lot of colors today, but it's all intentional. And you know what? I have just been following you on social media and you have been doing so many different things. You got to give us a straight up update about all that has gone on since the last time you were around. I'm just seeing you picture after picture, event after event. You have been killing it. I know it's a busy life. Just tell us about some of the highlights. Ooh, it's a busy life for sure. <laughs> well, last time I was here, y'all had me on like in tears, handing me five hundred dollars for my tour, which came in handy because going on tour right before the gas, uh, the gas like skyrocketed to like five, six dollars all over the country, like the week that we left, and so it was harder than expected, but. It was actually really, really great and really educational and just a really, I, I learned so much about myself and about um, the music community nationally. And I have quite a bit of knowledge that I was um, to bring back to my, to my family here about what it looks like outside of the bubble that we're in. Um, but uh, yeah, that was crazy. I came through that with the help of my team and um, came home and we grinded out some more shows and, you know, tried to get back into things. And I got super depressed, <laughs> super depressed um, before, uh, you know, going in the studio and working on my album finishing the tracking for it and really just it was just it's, everything happens for a reason yeah everything happens for a reason the the my cup was completely emptied and then filled with with the love of um of really amazing creators and musicians that like really get me and get what i'm trying to do um after it felt like a drought out there you know it's, well that's so important i think in artistry in general right it's we talk about the importance of this team that surrounds you all the time and i get it because even for me as a creative there's just certain things i could not do without a phenomenal team shout out to you erica because you always got my back i appreciate you so much and i know what that means i know what that you know feels like and you know, one of the things I think that is so unique about music is it soothes the soul, right? And so when you're able to create the things that really are feeding you, it does it in a multitude of ways, right? Right. I mean, I feel like it soothes the soul. It is soul. It's culture. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sitting here listening to you guys' this conversation, watching the show. It's a terrifying time. It just feels like it never ends, you know? Or like there's just there's so much hate and bigotry and fear and confusion and retaliation and vengeance out here. And it's all directed towards ideas more than people. And people have suddenly become so not suddenly it's like it's cyclical. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it happens generation to generation. There's a period of time 
of like deliberate extermination of a certain part of the human condition. And right now we're in that. Um, of course, we are after a global pandemic like shook us. I mean, when, when Omari was saying like some people don't even have boots, yeah. you know, that can be physical, that can be metaphysical, that can be emotional, that can be in the legacy of your family, it could be in your health, you know, um, and this ability that we are holding each other to a new standard because we were, I mean, it looks like that in our, in our family here, in our community here in Seattle, but it also looks like that nationally where it's like everybody's holding each other to this new standard based on being re, uh, when it's like a computer update or something. Yeah. It's like, yeah. oh, we're all looking at the same things now, right? This assumption about people's perspective and then holding them to a certain point of accountability that is really internal. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think music and arts and culture, that's the real plan. That's the real stomping ground where we can hold each other in, uh, accountable to the human spirit and to our, our humanity and not just to uh, whatever metrics are keeping us afloat. You know, people are really dissociative right now. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's that's the place is like what's going on in the central district. I mean, I just was down there when I came back into town. I'm like, oh, the grind. Right. And like grabbed a whole bunch of posters, went on foot. I'm going on a walk today. Walked from my house down to central district. Saw like what happens in a month out of town. What happens in a month? There's a barbershop across the street from a black owned uh, eatery that's like nationally recognized. And across the street from that, there are like name brands that only that hit me as a consumer because um, I've saw, I've seen jerk shack and Trey stuff like on Instagram, we first started, you know, that's like, what, you know, that's something that we can share and that, you know, the more that you're plugged in from the get go, it's not it's never too late to invest in your community. And I think that's what get, gets people because we're all like now reconditioned to be like we're looking at metrics and algorithms and blah, 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 blah. Like, you know, so we're thinking, oh, I forgot to invest in Bitcoin. So now it's not really my thing. Right. Yeah. You kind of pull your head out of your booty on that one and mm -hmm. just like because it's really beautiful what's happening. Oh. It, it is. And when you, no, <laughs> but when you talk about the beauty, this is exactly what I always bring up when people make assumptions about what's going on in the central district and they have such a negative outlook. Right. I'm like, oh, my God, no, this is a whole like renaissance right. happening that um, I'm so grateful to understand, to not only just understand it, but also to be a part of it because I'm from it. And I'm, it's it's one of those things where I realize digitization of our lives really will take you away from the beauty of what's going on around you because you'll be so stuck on, oh man, I need to make sure that, you know, that I'm feeding this audience. You know, how is that for you? Because it's a balance, I think, a lot of times for artists in general that are like, you know, you want your stuff out there. You have this, you know, kind of fan base, but also there's a, a need to be really plugged in and connected on the ground with what's going on. And that digitization, I don't know if it's just social media or whatever, but just the digitization of our world kind of brings in a break for many people where it's like, it's either or, and I don't think it right. has to be that. It's not, it can't be that. I got great advice on the road. Fans are fickle. Family is forever. And even if you have to be that kooky aunt that just shows up for the for the cookout and you just really bring like a potato salad because from the Costco, because that's all you have the energy for, you're there. 
and people remember that. And moreover, what's most important is what you remember, because then that becomes your life. And then whatever this thing is, it's a tool, you know, as opposed to the entire path of you know, how to plot your journey. It's just a tool, you know. I wish I could see and touch and smell. I can't. Those are things that we dealt with at the beginning of the pandemic. I would like people to get back to feeling comfortable with with missing each other, yeah. you know. And then we can have something to work towards. You know, it's like I want to I've been I have been doing a lot of events because events are happening, you know, and I have felt so drained when you look at somebody and you can like I'm like, yo, I saw a homie at like this Grammy party that I like love so much. We used to make music together before the pandemic. And he's a totally different person to me now because I'm a totally different person. Yeah. And I looked at him and I was like looking, I can see both of us were like looking for each other, you know, like just like, where are you at in there? And then for a second, both of us saw a little bit of something and we just started laughing. We were laughing. I was like, yo, you're dressed weird. <laughs> and he's like, yo, you're anxious. And I'm like, yeah, like, so what do we do now? I guess we take the extra time and energy to get to know each other from here. Yeah. And what are you working on? What are you building? Being able to be comfortable with him saying, I'm not really interested in that. The thing that you're passionate about, I'm not. I miss the other things that you used to do. And I'm like, cool, dude. But you like me, right? And he was like, yeah. Just, you know, it's not his, it's nobody's responsibility to carry each other as long as we're contributing to the team. And I think that's the hardest part with the disconnection of, of the technological age that we're in is like, what is my real priority? It's gotta be home, whatever that means. That could be by yourself. It's gotta be like the ability to grow, altruism, manifestation, whatever words you wanna use. And then it's gotta be your body and yourself. And home can include everybody or it can just include you and your cat and be okay with being lonely for a while. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah. Just everybody just needs to stay in the present. I don't even know. And that's the word. Hallelujah. That's the, that's the, girl, I love that. I love that. You know, I was just having a, a similar conversation yesterday. Right. Uh, particularly, I find that when you're talking to younger people and they're like, man, I'm just trying to get my feel for, you know, what my purpose is. You know, right. I'm, try, I'm trying to like, you know, figure it out. Gen Z is crazy with that. Yeah, you're like, right. Yo, right. <laughs> because because sometimes they'll look like at you and be like, oh, you must got it all, you know, all together like all the time then I see you do right and and I'm like to be honest you know like someone was saying that to me and I said to be honest I am number one I'm always authentically myself I think it's important it doesn't matter and and so I got to be willing to kind of sacrifice certain connections because whatever that looks like for other people however they perceive it I got to be real to me right. in the moment and I was recently at an event and I promise you it was written all over my face that maybe I shouldn't have been there Ooh. and so people who knew me were like hey they're coming up to me like hey are you all right and I'm like I'm so, like I'm a transparent person too so like I can't really fake it, but it was it was me being true to me in that moment. I couldn't put on a face or try to, you know, make it seem like it was something else. And I think that that to me is one of the most key things that I'm so grateful to actually have in my life yes. is to never compromise myself for the you know, whatever this, you know, for whatever you think growth is. Right. Right. Or for whatever whatever uh, situation you're put in, that's like, man, but I, I'm here. I need to be networking. I need to be doing this. 
if you're like really always true to yourself, the opportunities that are there for you will come and they will surface. And I think that that's so true when you have public facing art, right? When you're a public figure in any way, um, how do you deal with that? Because I feel like for me, it's just, I got to be authentically me everywhere. Right. I struggle with that because of and me, being authentically me is me acknowledging that I have a, uh, adapted a habit of mirroring in order to feel like I can survive through many spaces. And um, I think that's a lot of people, you know, I was watching an old Donna Summer interview this morning and she said somebody, well, she was on the night show, late night show. And they asked her like, did, how did you know you're going to be successful? And she said, I always knew. And she was talking about how her whole life she knew and how some people don't have that experience and how there are so many factors that try to shape you to a conformity that makes everybody feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. For me, I have been in many spaces my whole life that have developed in my art of being made to feel like I need to be in a certain box to make other people comfortable and put a word on that, like success or uh, comfortability or charisma. Those are words that people will use to highlight a certain point of my uniqueness while I am able to make them feel comfortable by being um, the ways that they are, yeah. you know? And there are ways that I've always been rebellious about that. Like, uh, I will never be on time. Sorry, Amari. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or, you know, but when I show up, I'm going to be all the way there and I'll be there till it's over, which is something that somebody else won't do. And, you know, you know, being authentic and authenticity, I think, is just being able to look yourself in the mirror and say, I am in the present right now. Note the thoughts, note the feelings and move purposefully into like what's next for me. You know, that's all that that means. I think we all have this expectation that you have to be like a personality like I'm not I'm like an awkward girl who just talks too much. And like, you know what I mean? Like. It's, you don't have to be anything other than doing the work that you want to do and not be not apologize for it. That's all yeah. that means. And, and I think that that's what resonates with people. I think that's what for me, when I listen to your music, I pick up on that yeah. because you you're not performative, even though you, you freaking perform. I almost dropped that. I mean, you will freaking <laughs> perform like crazy. But I mean, in terms of your music. It isn't performative for the masses. You are like in that moment, super present. And you're talking about things and bringing out your own life experiences musically that allows for people to resonate with what you put out there. And I, I got to say, I really I, I look at mainstream music sometimes and I go, man, you know, people really lose themselves. Right. They lose themselves in whatever right. that record label needs, you know, whatever it looks like the market needs. Right. You know, we see that people do that per, per specifically in music. Yeah. And that's where it's because music is the epicenter of our community's sense of art. Yeah. And art is the epicenter of our community's sense of culture. And culture is now the most important thing that we have as a currency. That's why we're living in the brand era. Mm. You know, we lived through the product era of the early 2000s. We are in a brand era where there's an expectation on a 12-year-old girl to be able to brand herself on TikTok. It's an expectation that's being upheld uh, societally and by the, the system systemic structures that she lives in, let alone her peers. 
So that's where we are right now. And it's easy to be, that's what, I mean, the, the anxiety of like trying to figure out how to brand yourself, especially when you didn't grow up in that, like anybody who's over 23, like it's just not right, you know? And I'm terrified of that. You know, I went to South by Southwest and I went to some other really big festivals, mostly to learn and mostly to see what, what next steps would be once I have a record out. And what I saw there was there was pockets of like protective hubs that I was able to be included in communities that exist all over the country that are like trying to make sure that we protect artists who are, who are writing and are still creating culture from that. And then I also saw it all get blown out. And it's like there are people who, you know, some of our favorite personalities have sacrificed online, have sacrificed their sense of self in order to dedicate everything into their brand because not just because they want money and esteem, but they're getting pressures internally to be something for other people. And so we have to give them grace for that, but also, you know, focus in on not letting ourselves fall to that, fall prey to that, because those things are no longer needed, in my opinion. I think that what we need is people to create, to stay in the creator's age mm -hmm. and not move into the brand age. Like when I work with, with organizations and companies, I make sure I got very, very lucky, especially coming here and starting my career here in Converge, where you guys are teaching us about how partnerships with community and partnerships with corporations should all be, everybody should be equal and have the equal seat at the table. That's what you learn in spaces like this. The rest of our community is still catching up to that. We have to hold them accountable to that and be like, okay, like being an, like an artist, like I'm going to have a show. I have a show coming up. I want you guys to come. That's mm. most of why I'm here. Mm. Right. I'm going around, I'm canvassing on foot around Central District, even though the show's in Fremont. I'm like having friends of mine drive me to obscure parts of Kent where people still go to live music. Like we're pounding pavement. And there's so few resources internally for all the organizations at the table that it's like challenging to understand, like, how are we really going to get the word out? How are we going to not only inspire reach, but also inspire people to change their normal habits of how they em em embrace my brand? Mm. You know, the only way I can think to do it is be a real effing human being. Yeah. You know, that's the only way. And if people don't respond to that, I don't want them because fans are fickle, but family is forever. So you got to go to Eve at the, the outstretches of, of the world to find the right people, then you're going to have to do that and just try to enjoy the ride. You know, yeah. I think everybody can do that, but you know, Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, everything you're saying, 100 percent. And this is why I, I love that we talked a bit about what it means to really be true to yourself and to, you know, this culture that is there for us to really tap into, to really help to expand. And as Omari said, you know, you're taking, you know, legacies like this and bringing them into the present day and bringing them into now. And so I, I really appreciate that we've spent time establishing how you do that. Right. And, yeah. and, and, and that, yeah, it's not just a golden road every time, right. There's, yeah. there's things that you have to intention, be intentional about in order to make that happen. But yeah. of course we have to celebrate the fact that you have a show coming up Yeah, and we have to celebrate the fact that people are going to be able to, you know, ingest more of your brilliance 
please tell us a little bit about what this show means to you in terms of another opportunity for you to be there and connecting with this community here. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Tell us about what it means to you right now. Oh, gosh. You know, every time I come here and this wall is here and um, it's, I'm so lucky to have a, a group of people that would associate me with any of these journeys. These journeys are very special because this is the culture that was built from black and brown people being able to thrive and do what we do. And as you spoke on earlier in the show, there is, we're so separated and, and we're spread around thin in order to, a lot of us, a lot of black and brown people out here, we're all energy sources. We're batteries for so many communities. Like we're a part of a lot of things so much so that we don't even necessarily get to just have moments of celebration in the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and when KXP uh, asked me to curate their 50th anniversary show, I was like, are you sure? I was like, are my, how many people do you have? Like, why? You know what I mean? Like, and I think what they're trying to do is make a commitment to uh, the fact that cultural provocateurs are a part of the music culture of the recording industry. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a playlist of the streets that we have of our streets that like isn't always accessible in the digital age and isn't accessible a lot because some people don't, have the boots, let alone the straps to pull. Um, So I was really, really focused on highlighting artists that, that inspire me because I was like, if you're going to ask me, then this is what I hear. And this is what I listen to. This is what makes me feel like I'm in myself. and like, I have purpose and like, I have clarity. It has nothing to do with the fact that they're black and brown, but except that their black and brown experiences inspire my experience. Mm. Um, And I think that the artists that are going to be there um, performing are like amazing. Vitamin D is like an icon. I mean, (laughs) he's an icon. Um, He's like an incredible engineer and MC. I mean, he's so well connected. He's inspired so many artists. I've never even met this guy. And I've seen him perform so many times on celebrated stages in rooms where people are truly themselves, you know, regardless of the color of their skin, they're just like there. Um, so I was like very honored that he was able to come. He's a KXB DJ. Um, Queen is a new artist, an independent artist. Um, they are super beautiful and super beautiful, like so inspiring with the way that they write poetry. Um, it's so like now and it's like very like brave now. And I think that there needs to be more of that coming out of Seattle for if Seattle's culture is going to be able to thrive. We need people that are really talking the real, the real stuff, yeah. you know, the real stuff. So um, I'm really excited that they'll be there. Tara Nobody is a um, another new artist. Uh, when I say new, I mean like pre pandemic, they were doing the grind, but they weren't like out there, you know, but they've grinded through the pandemic and made connections in ways where they're be able to hear all the references in their music, where they are in their journey. And I think that that's really inspiring to new artists. Um, and then Afrocop, that's like a, that's a, just a staple. It's a club staple. I come from club culture. Club culture is this. Yeah. This is club culture. That's uh, people making music together without rules, but with code 
that's club culture. So, and then I'm going to be doing all my new music that nobody's ever heard. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I feel really grateful to be in that, in that, in that bubble with them um, and share that perspective with everybody. I think it'll be a great night uh, of inclusion and um, for sure it will be staged and it will be a place where people can come and be whole uh, and dance and feel safe when they're shaking their booty. You know what I mean? So I'm really happy. I don't usually go out and be like, come to my show uh, other than the regular thing, but I want this to change the, uh, the narrative of what um, comes out of not only South Seattle, but of Seattle. I am completely aware of the responsibility that I have with the, uh, with the eyes that I have on me. And I will be clear with that because I'm at home with the family here. Um, that I know that's my responsibility to, to support my community in this way. So I hope that the community can support us with this so that this isn't the last time that we have this kind of visibility. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Shana, look right there. Make sure folks know how they can come and see this amazing show and this amazing lineup you've curated. Uh, we will be at Tractor Tavern this Saturday uh, with KEXP celebrating their 50th anniversary. Tickets are on sale now, $12 to $15 per ticket. If you need a ticket, you can hit me up in my DMs and I will take care of you. Um, if you need to group, bring a group of people, also hit me up in my DMs. But please, buy black. Support us. You asked us for this. You asked us for this. You asked us for this. Here it is. So come on out, wear your mask, and uh, bring your family. Oh, Shana, congratulations on all the things that you are doing. And thank you for bringing this amazing lineup out here to the public. We need to be able to have opportunities to support. We can't keep talking about support without the opportunities. <laughs> right. It goes hand in hand. As always, we so love you. We're so proud of you. I echo Omari's sentiments all the way. We are always supporting you in everything you do. Thank you for joining me today on the Morning Update show. It's always a pleasure. And for being your authentic self. I just love you. Oh, I love you too, Triana. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> Always Holiday. good. Always good vibes. Hey. Oh my goodness, you guys. We told you that we would not be disappointing with this episode. Of course, we want to make sure y'all know tonight uh, we got Truth With Proof. It'll be happening tonight. You guys make sure you check out. Man, he's always got some dope guests, some popping stuff. Also, um, our girl Besa. Besa is curating the Real Seattle Media Mixer. Converge is sponsoring this one. You guys want to check this out as well. Besa's got it all over her Instagram. Make Make sure you guys check that out um, for any of you guys who are looking to get into media who are on the outskirts of it whatever this is a great space for you to really network with folks so we want to make sure that you guys come there and as always for us you know i'll say see yourself as a part of the solution i mean shana shepherd is doing that in such a phenomenal way there's ways that you can be inspired to do the same it doesn't matter what your artistry is make it shine make it yours uh, make it one of a kind and bring it out there so we can all celebrate with you. And as Omari would say, go forward in your purpose, go forward in your humanity. Until tomorrow morning at 11 a.m. Peace. What do I see through a lens of fear? thousand little steps to go what do i fear after all these years lord knows i don't even know i've been running on the edge of a 
produces culturally relevant content for black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.